0: History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for
1: an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that because you're already listening to a podcast. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised.
2: The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities.
0: Big fancy night out last night. You and I went to a, a winter gala. And uh, we got to, I got to wear my tux for the third time. You in the, so beautiful. In the 10 years that I've owned it. And um, the thing was, I don't have a formal jacket, outdoor coat to wear. Right. And and so I just wore my tux and it was four degrees.
1: Well, there's a jacket built into a tux.
0: Well, but it's not warm though. No. If anything, it traps the cold.
1: So yeah, it's... Uh... Uh, after a glorious evening, we're getting ready to leave. It's four degrees. I've got a giant slit up the side of my skirt. You're wearing not a coat. not a coat. and uh, and well, uh, we almost died.
0: almost died, yeah, on the way on the way home, we stopped and picked up a jar of salsa and left it in your car. No. And yeah, now it's a salsa burg. It's just, <sighs> yeah, I just went out to uh, check the mail, and yeah. There's a big block of frozen Mexican condiment in your car, just so you know.
1: Oh no, it didn't burst open, yep. did it? No.
0: Yeah. Yep. Oh. Well, it'll be easy to clean up because it's frozen.
1: I guess. That makes me sad, though. What a waste of delicious salsa.
0: That is true.
1: Um, our favorite salsa, by the way, Todd's. Todd's salsa made here in Maine. It's it's fabulous, and he comes up with all these flavors all the time.
0: Plus, it's delicious when it's frozen. It's uh, it's a lot like a salsa sickle. Anyway, it's the Box of Oddities. We are delighted that you've joined us once again for this uh, plethora of nonsense mm-hmm. that we put forth into the uh, podcast sphere. And I believe you go first.
1: Really? That doesn't seem right.
0: Well, it is.
1: All right. I'm more than happy to. Okay. Thank you mm-hmm. for uh, this opportunity. To... I, su-
0: I support you. Thank you. I do. I'm this here you for and you. you. Plus, it gives me a few more minutes to finish this beer. Go ahead.
1: You know that uh, I am intrigued by all living things.
0: Yeah. Let's learn about it. Okay.
1: Um, so why wouldn't I be even more intrigued by giant living things?
0: That's the difference between you and I. You have a fascination for living things. I have a fascination for dead things. And yet, our interests overlap. Well, yeah. It's beautiful.
1: Because we actually both have an interest in In, living things and dead dead things. You're
0: right. Yeah. Go ahead. And salsa. And frozen salsa.
1: No, we don't have an interest in frozen salsa. I'm very upset about it. (laughs) Anyway. So, let's talk about deep sea gigantism. Okay. So, deep sea gigantism is the tendency for uh, species of animals to be larger than their shallow water relatives.
0: Because of the um, pressure?
1: Okay, we're going to get into that. I'm sorry.
0: I'm just so damn excited. It's it, because it's because they're bigger, isn't it? Because of Because the,
1: they're bigger? It, yep. They're bigger because they're bigger. That's See what happens when you try to jump in. And, and ruin my story?
0: They're so big that they're that they're <laughs> that they're not small.
1: <laughs> and there are so many examples. Of deep-sea gigantism. Moving right along. The giant isopod. So there are almost 20 species of large isopods, and they are abundant in cold, deep waters of the Atlantic, the Pacific, and the Indian Oceans.
0: What's an isopod?
1: There we go. All right. So uh, you know... The common isopod as being like the woodlouse or the pill bug. They're the little gray guys. uh you poke them with a stick and they kind of curl up. And they're like, meh.
0: Okay, stop. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Stop it. Vermin. I don't like
1: that. I mean, don't poke them with a stick.
0: But if you did poke them with a stick, that's the type of voice that is in Cat's head. Meow. She assigns voices to every animal.
1: Anywhoozle. So they're, they're little gray guys, and they've kind of got that exterior shell, you know, yep. that little, yep. you know what I'm talking about. Pill bugs. Google it. Um, <clears throat> so their cousin, the Bathynomus gigantus, is often considered the largest isopod in the world. So they've got a strong, thick exo- exoskeleton, and they, they look like the pill bug. Just a little bit rounder. Okay, okay. So they're not quite as flat. And and also they're enormous.
0: So this is a giant lice. Pretty much. Essentially. How big do they get?
1: They can get about the size of a small dog.
0: Oh. You're kidding me.
1: <gasps> right?
0: Oh my god. Lice the size of a small dog? You you couldn't you wouldn't be able to use a lice comb you'd have to use a garden rake. Oh wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, you got lice in your hair the size of a of a poodle.
1: All right, not quite the size of a poodle. Like picture a poodle but without legs. Oh, that's awful. No, picture <laughs> um picture like like a loaf of bread.
0: Okay, okay. So, they're the size of a loaf of wonder bread.
1: <laughs> oh. Um, I can't stop thinking about that poodle. They're uh, they're actually really interesting because they've got uh, seven pairs of legs, uh, and the first pair is modified into uh, what are called maxil which literally translate into mouthfeets. So they oh. just they're just the the food shoveling. Legs okay,
0: okay, gotcha,
1: and they have four sets of jaws which are modified for cutting and tearing. Mm-hmm. So they're these like extraordinarily mm-hmm. large, <laughs> extraordinarily large pill bugs, uh, that have four jaws and uh, and mouth legs.
0: And these are how far down in the ocean?
1: They're really far, really, down really in the deep. Ocean.
0: Okay, and what do they feed on? Um, are they carnivorous? Yeah. Okay. You know, so they
1: like they like little little sea bugs. Little
0: sea bugs. Okay.
1: The uh the giant sea spider. Sea spiders are marine arthropods, and they are cosmopolitan, according to Wikipedia. Cosmopolitan. Which I really enjoy. <laughs> they wear top hats. Yep,
0: they're very uptown. They
1: carry canes.
0: They're putting on the Ritz, is you know what it. they're doing. Yep.
1: They're found in oceans all over the world. There are about uh, 1,300 known species. And certain scientific name of sea spider are so small that (laughs) each of their tiny muscles consists of only one single cell surrounded by connective tissue. So they're just these little nugget guys. Now, like true spiders, sea spiders, some sea spiders have eight legs, but not all do. Some sea, sea spiders have 10 and even 12 legs. Because they're not they're not arachnids. They have a spread of about uh, twenty seven inches.
0: Twenty seven inches. Yeah. A spider, a sea spider. Mm-hmm. Twenty seven inches. Right.
1: And he could have twelve legs. Also, just keep so, that in mind.
0: Wow, twenty seven inches. That would be probably about eight grilled cheese sandwiches.
1: Side to side? Side to side. Mm. I always go with stacking as far
0: as... Sure, sure.
1: But, you know, that's just how you and I are different and the same.
0: Well, I operate on the linear grilled cheese measurement scale.
1: Oh, like the Europeans. Oh, sure. Sure.
0: Yeah, I'm a traditionalist.
1: (laughs) The Japanese spider crab. Japanese spider crab is a marine crab that lives in the waters around Japan, and it has the largest leg span of any... Arthropod. Why do I choose to do anything with scientific names? Um, so you know crabs, right? Sure. There are crabs all over the place. And there are some crabs that are so small that they live inside little clam shells. And they're mm-hmm. so cute. And they're little nuggets.
0: Can I just go back one moment to the when you asked me uh, if I knew crabs and I said yes? Yeah. Let me just say certain types. Sure. Okay.
1: Yes. No. Both and- of us, STD-free. High five.
0: High five. I've been
1: tested. And you said that you were tested yeah, before we got together, sure. but I think yeah. that you lied. <laughs>
0: That's not true. <laughs> I'm just glad that uh, that those kind of crabs aren't the size of a poodle. Right? Yeah, would be very upsetting. That would be coming awful. for
1: you, dick. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I'm going to have nightmares tonight. Little... Yeah, with their with their little food shoveling hands. Yeah. No, thanks. No.
1: Next. Okay. Anyway, these crabs can reach up to 18 feet from claw to claw. Oh, my
0: God. 18 feet? Yep. Holy shit.
1: And can weigh up to 42 pounds.
0: That's fucking crazy.
1: I know. I want to show you a picture, uh, but I'm going to wait. Uh, and I'll post it on Facebook, of course. Okay. Um, it, all the social media. It's not just the FB.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: Or fish is not actually something that I was familiar with uh, before I started researching. So it's not something that I can go like, oh, this is what it normally looks like. And this is what it looks like. Huge. Sure. Uh, Which is a little disappointing because you don't have that comparison aspect. You like to frame it. I do. I do. That's one of the things that bugs me the most about uh, deep sea video footage of these enormous animals is it just shows them floating there in the water. There's nothing to compare it to. How am I supposed to understand what that means?
0: You need a diver down there with a dollar bill to hold it up next to the thing so you know. All right.
1: So the giant oarfish is a species with worldwide distribution, also very cosmopolitan, excluding the polar regions. He's the world's largest bony fish, and he's got a very ribbon-like, narrow shape,
0: Okay.
1: Plus, he's got a dorsal fin that runs along his entire length.
0: I'm picturing something eel-like.
1: He's kind of eel-like. Okay. Um, He's also almost see-through. So you've got this kind of, well, at least this this species that I was
0: reading about earlier today. Um, So like a ghost eel.
1: Like a ghost eel.
0: Like a giant ghost eel.
1: He's got uh, little stubby pectoral fins, which are actually pretty cute, and long oar-shaped pelvic fins. Now they call them oarfish because they've got these little nuggets that they use on the side, and they kind of like
0: like like they paddle along. Like, like they paddle like, like, like oars, like as though
1: they had okay. little tiny boatmen on mm-hmm, them. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I'm getting sure, at? Anyway, sure. okay, so. There are several species of this guy. The streamer fish is known to reach 10 feet in length.
0: Um, That gives me the shivs.
1: But the giant oarfish is by far the largest member of this family, and he can reach 36 feet, (gasps) with unconfirmed reports of 56 feet.
0: Look Look at the hairs on my arm. He can weigh up to 600 pounds. That freaks me right out. See, this is what freaks me out when we're on a cruise ship. I know. We start thinking about stuff like that down there. If this boat goes down, we're going to get eaten by a 32 foot oar fish and that is basically a giant ghost eel with <laughs> little boatmen in it.
1: Yeah, but buffet.
0: Oh, that's true. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And we've talked about that before. Like every once in a while, when we're on a cruise, all of a sudden it will. It will just wash over me, the realization mm-hmm. of where we
0: are and what
1: we're doing. Usually
0: where- when it's when they make the announcements and they tell you how deep the water is. Yeah. Yeah. It's about five miles deep right here. And my brain goes, there's so much stuff down there. You've made a horrible mistake. Yeah. And I often think of the same. If, if I fell overboard, how horrifying that would be. Yeah. To just be.
1: And do I jump after you? Is that what I do? I don't know. I, I can't leave yeah. you alone.
0: Nah, you wouldn't do that. Well, no, you would. What I'm saying is don't, okay?
1: Well, you first of all, you don't you don't get yeah. to tell me what to no, do?
0: No, don't, no, don't. Don't.
1: Yeah. Um <clears throat> The Colossal Squid.
0: <clears throat>
2: oh.
1: <clears throat> Sorry. That's all right. The Colossal Squid. Sometimes called the Antarctic squid or the giant Cranch squid. He's believed to be the largest spid squeeze <laughs>
0: you know i i did my i did my thesis on the on the largest spid (laughs) squeecees i wish i wish there was video that you guys could see of her face when she said that it was just priceless spid (laughs) squeecees you're adorable anyway they're real big yeah and, um... <laughs> and now the thing in the middle <laughs>
1: okay 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 <clears throat> so the colossus squid is known wait, wait wait
0: wait I need you to sort your sizes
1: <laughs> so the clo- oh yeah okay uh, Wikipedia and uh, ZME science okay thanks <clears throat> and then Google image searches mm. So the Colossus squid is known from only a few specimens. And so we've talked about like giant squids before. Yes. And we know that giant squids are pretty giant, but the Colossus squid uh, dwarfs that guy. And his maximum size is approximately 39 to 46 feet. He can weigh up to 1,650 pounds. And that's just based on small specimens with the assumption like this is how they grow. Sure, and if they're sure. this big at this age, then they must mm-hmm. be this big at this age because they they're they have so few specimens to study. Uh, for example, their eyeballs, they have the largest eyes documented in the animal kingdom. And the only references they have are those very few uh, specimens and mostly those have been dead so the partially collapsed specimen that they reference in this article was about 11 inches in diameter the eyes are estimated to be 12 to 16 inches when the squids are alive good lord right yeah that that kind of detail uh, really puts a puts things in perspective i mean that's this right
0: mm. that no what you're doing right now is about nine inches what are you trying to demonstrate?
1: His eyeball.
0: Yeah, but how, how big?
1: 12 to 16.
0: It would be more That like,
1: doesn't even make any sense. It
0: would be like a small hubcap.
1: Where's that hubcap heaven?
0: Oh, that's in northern Maine. Yeah.
1: That's... Yeah. yeah. That place is weird.
0: It is. It's just a place that sells old hubcaps.
1: I love it. I love... Anyway, it doesn't... That... Okay. Moving right along. Here's something neat about the Colossus squid, though. He is uh, different from the giant squid in this way. So the giant squid's arms and tentacles have the suckers lined with small teeth, Right. These yeah, th- yeah, yeah. little tentacles are like, nom, 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 nom. but the colossal squid's limbs are also equipped with sharp hooks. Eh, some eh, swiveling no, hooks. No, this is Others like, three pointed. It's like an
0: evil alien creature from another galaxy. They're
1: amazing.
0: Holy shit.
1: They also have the largest known beak of any squid and he is more robust than any other squid i think that's a nice way of saying that he's a tubzo uh-huh. because he really is he's a chunkster
0: Well oh, don't let him hear you say that i would never he'll 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 poke you with those little swivel hooks
1: so yeah what makes this happen i know you do
0: yeah would it be the crushing pressure of the water
1: well that. Was a theory for a long period of time, Uh but it is dwindling in its popularity. Really? Yeah. Um, So, in the case of marine crustaceans, it's been proposed that the increased size uh, with depth uh, occurs because of Bergman's rule. Bergman's rule is an eco geographical rule that states that within a broadly distributed taxonomic clade, Populations and species of larger size are found in colder environments. So it's got more to do with temperature, according to this theory, than it does pressure.
0: Okay, that makes sense.
1: So decreasing temperature is thought to result in increased cell size and increased lifespan, both of which lead to an increase of maximum body size. And because they live so long, the... Crustaceans continue to grow for as long as they live, so um, they have more of an opportunity to continue growing into these enormous thingamajiggers. But not all things follow this rule. Um, temperature does not appear to have had a similar role in influencing the size of giant tube worms. Oh, good. Tube worms live in thermal vents, which can reach like almost ninety degrees.
0: Yeah, they they. they... They're an anomaly, aren't they? I read something about them not long ago. They um uh, they 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 survive by living off the chemical reactions of the thermal vents as opposed to food and light.
1: Right, which I think is really interesting when you think about what brings us life.
0: Yeah.
2: And
1: uh there there are increasing numbers of studies that show that warmth rather than sunlight yeah, per se yeah. it, you know what we need for sure, life sure. so if we don't need sunlight and we don't need food should that reframe our parameters for what what life yeah. what can
0: sustain life yeah the conditions necessary to allow life to form right. on a, on a different planet. Carl Sagan talked about that. You know, exactly. we're we're so used to the idea of life forms being carbon carbon based. carbon based. Exactly. But it's in in entirely possible that on some alien world they could be silicon based. Right. They could be rock people. We don't know. We just don't know. We it, don't know, Claire.
1: And that opens up so many possibilities. Also take into consideration Kleber's rule. Kleber's rule states that animals that are bigger are generally more efficient. So a cat, for example, having a mass 100 times that of a mouse will have a metabolism roughly 32 times greater than that mouse. Kleber's law is a consequence of the physics and geometry of animal circulatory systems. It has a lot to do with surface area and volume and the nature of blood vessels. So huge animals swimming in the depths of the ocean rely on food to drop from above. And food is so scarce that they have to be more efficient and so you'd think you the more food you have the bigger you're going to get but in with when it comes to Kleber's rule that's not the case at all mm. it's it's you have to be bigger in order to sustain yourself
0: that's fascinating it really is i had never heard that before
1: the as i mentioned the 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 incredible pressure the crushing pressure of the deep sea is really decreasing in its popularity in in a theory as to why these animals can get so big um But it's still kind of in there. And it might be a combination of all three of these things kind of Mm -hmm. working together Mm -hmm. to make these amazing, gorgeous.
0: uh, Horrifying, uh, swivel, hook, eat your dick crabs.
1: Yeah. 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 So there you go. There's deep sea gigantism.
0: Fantastic. That, uh, that is something that uh, has always intrigued me. What, you know, When you think about it, we know more about the moon mm-hmm. than we do the depths of the ocean.
1: Yeah. They, uh, what is the estimate? That we've explored about 5% of the ocean? Something like Which that. Which is
0: incredible. It really is. A couple of people have actually mentioned this on the social media that um, when we play that thing in the middle sound effect...
2: It startles them so um here it comes halfway through when you're still awake it must be time for that thing in the middle
0: here are some strange facts about the united states of america number five americans eat about 18 acres of pizza a day i would love to see an 18 acre pan pizza That would be awesome. Number four. In
1: 1998, more fast food employees were murdered on the job than police officers.
0: Yikes. Number three. The United States has 5% of the world's population, but 25% of the world's prison population.
1: Number two. Walmart is the single largest employer in 21 states.
0: And number one. There are more cars in Southern California then there are cows in India, and I hear that it never
2: rains in Southern California.
1: But it pours? It pours. Man, it pours? It
2: pours. The Box of Oddities with Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth.
0: One of the things that we've come to find out and recognize about you freaks over the course of the podcast is that you're a creative bunch.
1: Yeah, and when you want to turn your creativity and your talent into dollars, as a small business owner, HoneyBook.com can help you spend less time handling the paperwork side of things and give you more time to do what it is that you love and you're good at.
0: A lot of you are photographers. We have a lot of artists that have a small business, event planners, all kinds of creative types. And HoneyBook makes it so much easier for you to run a small business. They have everything that you need In one place. Yeah,
1: they streamline the process with client and calendar management tools and custom branded proposals and contracts. You can even get e-signatures, generate invoices and get paid faster within one online system. It's pretty rad.
0: And by the way, getting paid faster, it's better than being paid slow.
1: Yes. I
0: hate being paid slow.
1: This is news to a lot of people.
0: Did you know that over 75,000 photographers, designers, event planners, and solopreneurs have saved hundreds, if not thousands, of hours a year with HoneyBook? You could be the next one.
1: And that's why we've partnered with HoneyBook.com to offer Box of Oddities listeners 50% off the first year of HoneyBook with promo code BOX.
0: Just get started by going to HoneyBook.com and use promo code BOX for 50% off your first year. That's HoneyBook, H-O-N-E-Y, B-O-O-K.com, promo code BOX.
1: That's B-O-X.
0: HoneyBook.com, promo code BOX. Take your small creative business to the next level.
1: Let us tell you about Stitch Fix.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited about Stitch Fix becoming a member of our Box of Oddities family of sponsors because I'm stylistically challenged. If it's not jeans and t-shirts... I'm lost.
1: So Stitch Fix helps because it's an online personal styling service that finds and delivers clothes, shoes, and accessories to fit your body, budget, and lifestyle.
0: I'm excited about this because I just went to their site and uh, I told them my sizes. I indicated what styles that I like, and I even told them what my budget was And my very own personal stylist is going to handpick five items and send them right to my door.
1: So what happens is you get this box filled with beautiful items. You try them on. You pay only for what you love and return the rest. So it's like you go into it, your bedroom becomes your dressing room. Yeah, it does. And then you're all like, I like this. I like this. I like this. I like this. I like this this i will keep all of them but if anything doesn't work for your body or your budget or whatever you just send it back boom Shipping, exchanges, and returns are always free.
0: I love that. All the big-time Hollywood people have their own personal stylists, and you could have one now yourself. Your own online personal styling service is Stitch Fix.
1: Stitch Fix's styling fee is only $20, and that is actually applied toward anything you keep from your shipment.
0: That's beautiful. And again, shipping, exchanges, and returns are always free, and there's no subscription required. You sign up to receive uh, scheduled shipments, and get your fix whenever you want.
1: Oh, I see what you did there. Yeah. Get started now at stitchfix.com slash box and you'll get an extra 25% off when you keep all five items in your box.
0: That's stitchfix.com slash box to get started today. Stitchfix.com slash box. S-T-I-T-C-H. Stitch. F-I-X. Fix. com. Slash box. Facts.
2: They've been married longer than they've been doing this podcast, and they're still talking to each other. Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth continue with The Box of Oddities.
0: Recently, I talked about uh, the uh, inspiration for Dr. Frankenstein, the guy that hooked up dead bodies to batteries and yeah. made them twitch about. Got a message from uh, Dr. Frankenstein. It's an extraordinary name. Love that. Neurobiology student here, he says, Y'all had a solid hypothesis, but blood isn't what conducts electricity between neurons. Hmm. The cells themselves conduct electricity across their membranes, and uh, they can still function after an organism dies, as long as they're still intact. The head being drained of blood probably caused the tissues to dehydrate, which basically means that the cells shrivel up and die from losing all of their fluid. That's amazing.
1: Yeah, cells are incredible.
0: No, it's amazing that a neurobiology student listens to this podcast. That's cool. I love that people who have educations listen. Smart people. They listen to us. Right. And I appreciate the fact that Dr. Thankenstein seems to understand that we're not a news source, (laughs) (laughs) right? you know, and that he just recognizes, he or she, I don't know, uh, recognizes that we're just two people interested in stuff talking about things
1: yeah don't get mad at me when i mispronounce something because i'm not supposed to know how to pronounce
0: that thing we're a couple of goofballs. back up
1: off me turd
0: dr thankenstein
1: we salute you Meanwhile, we got a message on Instagram. Funny thing happened yesterday. I work in a neurobiology lab. No. One of your earlier episodes, Kat said something about not listening to something uh, if you get queasy or something like that. Meanwhile, I'm dissecting rat brains after eating a very large (laughs) serving of spaghetti. (laughs) (laughs) These two events happened in separate rooms, of course. I don't know why, but this made me laugh. (laughs) It made me laugh, too.
0: Our email address, curator at oddities.com. Find us on all the social meds. And uh, we do our best to try to get back to everybody. It's becoming increasingly more difficult, though. Yeah. But we love you. We really do. You know how my fashion quest is to uh, bring back the codpiece?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, because
0: it's long overdue.
1: Plus, it's fun to say.
0: Codpiece. Um, I thought I'd talk about some of the more unusual fashion trends throughout history.
1: I love it.
0: All right, we'll start with the cod piece. Uh, I'm getting my information from allthingsinteresting.com, Wikipedia,
1: one of our favorites,
0: and Rancor. Let's start with cod pieces. Uh, cod pieces—they were a um, flamboyant statement uh, meant to emphasize a man's manhood. It was really kind of a cock helmet basically, was what it was. It was about the size of, uh, I don't know, what would you say that's about the size of?
1: I don't know. I've been lied to about size so much.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's about the size of a pickup truck. And um, no, it's, you know, it, it looks like an athletic supporter. You know, like one of those protective cops that baseball catchers wear. Oh, sure, yeah. Something like that. It became popular with King Henry the Eighth in England, who wore his prominent accessory and uh, all of his portraits and also in real life
1: if i remember correctly the king henry the had those portraits where he's he's standing like with his hands on his hips all like yes right there yeah and yep. it's it's almost like he's pushing his his ween out toward you oh yeah
0: clearly he had some issues now during the elizabethan time this was weird this i find fascinating queen elizabeth the first had an insane penchant for sweets. She loved sugar okay. and sweets. And because of that, her teeth rotted out of her head. Mm. And because of that, black teeth became all the fashion rage.
1: Oh, my goodness. Back
0: in the day. People that could not rot their teeth out naturally would black them with uh, ashes and soot and stuff to make it look like their teeth had fallen out. That meant, during the Elizabethan days, prosperity. That you had money. That you had money. That
1: makes sense.
0: Isn't that crazy?
1: Yeah. Well, it's, you know, there's, it's like... I can remember uh reading about how you know how in the 90s and into the early 2000s tanning beds were so popular and everyone was just like insanely tan yeah, all right, the right. time yeah. and that was kind of a like a a fashion thing but whereas back in the day the paler you were right. the more affluent you are assumed to be, because you didn't have to be out in the fields working. You That's know, right. You'd That's... Stay inside with your piano and your small dogs.
0: Yeah. Oh. And it's the same with, uh, with weight. Today, exactly. we vilify people who are considered overweight by society. We judge them, but not too long ago, hundred years ago, that was a sign of wealth and prosperity. Right. If you were skinny and tanned, you were a popper. If yeah. you were fat and pale, you were aristocratic.
1: And we talked about uh, one of those tribes that had the fattening huts uh, where they Mm. would force the young girls to go in and get fat so that they would be more uh, appealing to potential suitors. It is entirely society-based and if you believe in any way that your value is based on how much you weigh or how you look to other people, please stop that. Yeah. Because.
0: It's going to change. It's
1: going to change and it doesn't matter.
0: Like as as a fat pasty guy, I would have been all the rage 150 years ago. You're
1: all the rage right now.
0: Oh, you're sweet.
1: You're all the rage in my heart.
0: But yes, black teeth, because sugar was such an expensive commodity in Tudor England. It was considered to be a sign of wealth and and excessiveness. Similarly, blackened teeth also became fashionable in late 19th century Japan as well.
1: Now, for the same reasons or?
0: For basically the same reasons. Wow. Because sugar was expensive. In the 1850s and 60s, hoop skirts were all the rage. Still love them. I just
1: like the way they move.
0: They were made out of uh, crinoline, C-R-I-N-O-L-I-N-E. Crinoline. Crinoline. Anyway, they reached the height of their popularity during uh, those two decades. And you know what hoop hoop skirts are. They have like this wire frame that make the skirts go way, way out. Allegedly, they actually saved women from drowning. Really? That there were several cases where women had fallen into the Thames River or a canal and floated to safety.
1: See, I would think it would do exactly the opposite. I saw a video once of a bride who jumped off a boat. Uh, in her wedding dress and of course she's wearing a wedding dress so when she hit the water the dress came up Ooh, over her head like
0: a pool cover
1: yes exactly whoa which is like my greatest Horrifying. fear in the yeah. whole world which yeah. Unbreakable is a great movie but I just can't watch that scene anyway uh, and she had to be rescued because she just became immobile
0: that's crazy yeah. that is crazy
1: anyway uh, skirts. yeah yeah
0: yeah. they became so popular that uh, the phenomena was called Kremlin mania even Why do though we have to make everything into a mania, I don't know. At least it wasn't Kremlin Gate. That was too early for that. But even though these dresses allegedly saved some women from drowning, they also uh, had a had a penchant for catching on fire. Sure, and that was an issue because this material was extremely flammable, and you have it placed over a uh, a screen, which allowed airflow, and these things would go up like a torch.
1: Right. And you have no understanding of how much space you take up.
0: That's true, too. There was a version, these weren't hoop skirts, but a version of uh, of dresses a little bit earlier, like during the 17th century, you see pictures of uh, French nobility, uh, Marie Antoinette types wearing it. And, and instead of the hoop skirt going all the way around, they were just on the hips. Mm-hmm. And they made, a, made you look extremely wide on the hips, but your front and back were flat. Which was an issue because all of the female French aristocracy had to go through doors sideways. It sounds funny, but it's true. Yeah,
1: and it's interesting that things like this actually dictate, you know, architecture and how things were built at the time. Oh, we need some wide doors for our giant hipped ladies. In
0: 1914, hobble skirts became very popular. Extremely tight ankle length skirts probably seen old vintage footage from the early turn of the century they're just kind of they can barely move their feet because the the size of the opening of the bottom of the of the skirt is so small they they're hobbled
1: yeah they're hobbled
0: women could only walk in tiny measured steps critics uh, derided the hobble skirt as uh indiscreet and wasteful and when world war one came around uh, they've kind of faded out into uh into history but The designer of the hobble skirt said, when it comes to women's fashion, I freed the bosom, but I shackled their ankles. It just seems really weird.
1: Yeah, I don't like that guy.
0: He's dead now, though, by the way.
1: Sure, sure.
0: Just so you know. Cool. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, speaking of old vintage film, if you ever watch any of the uh, silent films from like the 20s, especially news footage or just those films that they would take of streetcars and traffic and things that were happening in everyday life in sure. the 20s or old baseball games on film, everybody's wearing those straw boater hats. You know what I'm talking about?
1: Like the the kind that you'd wear with a vest and dance flailing it up in the air yeah, yeah yeah you'd have to you had to hold it up and, and wave it around while sure. you're singing in a quartet
0: well yes exactly yeah they were all the rage in the 20s actually before that okay and they are they were traditionally called we call them straw hats but uh, traditionally they were called boater hats because in the 1880s and 90s they were used by rowing teams at universities, they were considered an athletic hat. Oh, they yeah.
1: Were, I picture Venetian uh, boaters wearing them.
0: They actually wear something like that. Yeah. But in the uh, United States in the 1880s and 90s, rowing teams at places like Harvard, they had a uniform and part of the uniform was those straw hats and they had like striped blazers as well. Sure. That sparked a uh, fashion craze with the straw hat, and that lasted through the early 1930s. So it was about 50 years that straw hats were really big. But in the 20s, they were everywhere, and they were considered a formal summer hat. You wore it just during the summer months, and the rest of the year you wore a felt hat or a silk hat or whatever. A
1: fabric more becoming of yes. the winter months.
0: Exactly. Yes. It was considered to be lightweight and hence a summer hat. In fact, during the 20s, there was what they called Straw Hat Day, which was considered to be the kickoff to the summer months. Oh. They called it Straw Hat Day. And that's when everybody brought their straw hats out. Oh. And wore their straw hats and put away their uh, their flannel or silk or whatever other kind of hats they wore. I like that. And so that became a fashion do. You had to wear a straw hat after, I think it was like May 15th or something like that. Mm-hmm. And straw hat season ended September 15th. And they were very rigid about that. If you wore a straw hat after September 15th, you got ridiculed. People are such dicks. In the 1920s, it sparked what is called the Straw Hat Riot. No one's exactly sure why the cutoff date was set at September 15th. But yes, September 15th was the day. You could not wear a straw hat after September 15th uh, because people would grab your hat and stomp on it. Oh my God. They would grab the hats off your head and crush them. What is wrong with you people? That would forcibly remove the hat from somebody's head, crush it. Newspapers actually, it got so bad over the years, newspapers actually started cautioning people. Hey, September's 5th, 15th is coming. Don't wear your straw hat. In an article from the Pittsburgh... How Pits-
2: is this a thing? It's a
0: thing. An article in the Pittsburgh Press dated September 15th, 1910, said that uh, police had to enter- intervene on more than one occasion, to protect straw-lidded pedestrians, quote-unquote. The article explained that uh, it was socially acceptable for stockbrokers to destroy each other's hats because they were among friends. However, it is not right to destroy a stranger's straw hat.
1: Well, no, of course it's not, nor is it up to you. What is happening? That's the most, well, I can't, (laughs) that makes no sense.
0: Well, shit got real. September 13th, 1922, a couple of days before the straw hat ban was supposed to take effect, young men started to uh, they got a jump on things on the tradition of grabbing and stomping hats off of uh factory workers <gasps> in the former Mulberry Bend section of Manhattan. This is according to Ripley's, when the gang tried to pull the same stunt on a bunch of dock workers, the men just beat the shit out of them.
1: Yeah, dock workers. It
0: was so bad. That traffic stopped on the Manhattan Bridge. Police were forced to break the riot up and arrested several people. The fighting continued the following night. Teen boys were roaming the streets with large sticks, some with nails protruding from the head uh, from the ends of the sticks, so they could hook the straw hats off people's heads and then crush them. Anybody that resisted was beaten. Several men had to be treated for their injuries. Many of the boys were under 15 years of age, so they weren't arrested. And I was able to find an article in the New York Tribune from the archives, and this is what it said. Straw Hat Smashing Orgy Bears Heads from Battery to Bronx. Stores do thriving business, but many youthful marauders are arrested and seven are spanked at station by irate parents.
1: I'm oh not going to do the
0: whole article no. in that voice. Like, no,
1: and that to me sounds like, especially if you're roaming around on the 13th looking for people wearing straw hats, yeah. that sounds to me like just a bunch of punks yep. looking to cause trouble, and it's not got anything to do with straw no. hats. No, or, no. no, no it's no. just you being a, a dillwad, and I don't care for it, sir.
0: You're being an Edwardian dill hole is what you're being.
1: Would it be a Dewardian?
0: <laughs> the article says boys were guided by the calendar rather than the weather and most of all by their own troublemaking proclivities indulged in a straw hat smashing orgy throughout the city last night. A dozen or more were arrested and seven were spanked.
1: I'm, I'm sorry. Straw hat smashing orgy to me conjures lots of pelvic region straw hats. You know, those party games where you're supposed to pop the balloon sure, between sure. your, yeah, your right, right. Pel- it's yeah. just a straw hat sure. and lots of wangs.
0: A dozen or more were arrested and seven were spanked ignominiously uh, by their parents in the East 104th Street Police Station by order of the lieutenant at the desk. I love that. We need to get back to that. If you've got hooligans and they get arrested by the police, the parents should come down and have the desk sergeant order them spanked.
1: I don't know. I'm still like, my brain's still on the orgy track, so.
0: Sure. I gotcha. I understand. That doesn't sound
1: like punishment at all.
0: The New York Times reported that hundreds of boys terrorized straw-lidden civilians, uh, forcing them to run through a gauntlet. They actually formed a gauntlet and made the straw hat wearers run through it. A man named E.C. Jones claimed 1,000 teens were part of a roaming mob on Amsterdam Avenue. Where are your parents? Harry Gerber, 25, was kicked and beaten so badly that he was hospitalized. Oh my goodness.
1: Just because he wants to wear a straw hat until the length of time that society deemed was reasonable.
0: He had 2 to, he had 48 hours of straw hat wearing time left.
1: That just makes me want to bust out a straw hat and wear it right now. Yeah, it's January. Yeah.
0: The police were greatly outnumbered and were even targeted, according to newspaper accounts. Were they
1: wearing straw hats?
0: A group of boys threw acting detective sergeant Brindisi's hat in the street. <gasps> And he fell into a gutter while pursuing his tormentors. The police would break the gang up in one district, Mm -hmm. and then they would just go to another district of the city and reform and start smashing straw hats there. It's
1: like a shitty flash mob.
0: Interestingly, though, the riot was, uh, well, it was a boon for hat stores. (laughs) They stayed open late to provide uh, the seasonally appropriate hats so that uh, people would not wear their straw hats and get... (gasps) Get mugged. Do
1: you think these kids were the kids of hat store owners?
0: I didn't think about that.
1: Conspiracy.
0: Could be the hat snatching tradition continued for a couple of more years, and one man was reportedly killed in 1924. What? Yep. In 1925, the Times published an article: "Discard date for straw hats ignored by President Coolidge." President Coolidge wore his straw hat after seven, after the 15th of September, effectively ending the ban on straw hats after the 15th of September. Not officially, but because he wore one, mm-hmm. then it was acceptable, and it eliminated all of the straw hat riots.
1: Creating peace across the nation. Coolidge.
0: The straw hats uh, continued to be worn for a couple of more years, but faded very quickly in popularity after that, so... By the early 30s, they were being replaced with uh, softer felt hats.
1: Even for summertime?
0: Even for summertime. I know, it's crazy. So, there you go. The great straw hat riot of 1922 and some weird fashion trends from the past.
1: I love it. And, you know, I love fashion. I do. I love love the creativity that goes into fashion, but I despise the idea that you have to subscribe to fashion in order to be you know socially, socially acceptable yeah, and I agree uh, if if you show me a neat dress I'm gonna go ooh that's a neat dress but if someone says like why are you wearing those red socks with that pink shirt I want to topple you <laughs> as a great sports writer once said stop being a colossal jackwagon
0: I love that. Colossal jack wagon is an awesome term. We need to start working that into conversation as much as possible. Agreed. Getting uh, a lot of comments from people who have uh, got their tickets to the February 27th show at uh, Zany's Comedy Nightclub in Nashville, our first live show. We're kind of testing it out to see how it goes. If it goes well, maybe we'll do more. If it fails miserably, then we'll just slink out of town with our tail between our legs. uh, Humiliated, broken, spent. And discarded, like a smoking shotgun shell in the sand.
1: Yeah, we'd probably do another one anyway. I uh,
0: I probably would, yeah. Yeah. You can get your tickets. There are still some general admission tickets available. Theboxofoddities.com You should
1: go to the social media pages.
0: For pictures of gigantic spid squishies. Something like that. Anyway, uh, The Box of Oddities, twice a week. We will see you on Thursday, you freak.
1: Until then, keep flying that freak flag.
2: Fly it proudly. And so, let it be known that The Box of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, we wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. The On Facebook at facebook.com slash Box of Oddities Podcast. On Twitter at Box of Oddities. And Instagram at BoxOfOdditiesPodcast Podcast. Copyright 2019, all rights reserved.
1: Of history but hate when it's stuffy and
2: boring Well, look no further and join me Katie Charles your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries murders by Gaslight and of course women who have been misrepresented through all time On who did what now the history podcast that's not your history class listen wherever you get your podcasts If you like this podcast can we recommend another one?